millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from L.A. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. I'm Giles Bitter, and I produced Creeper, the story of sex, death, and the infinite void. Throughout many of the conversations, hours of conversations I had with the band members and people close to the band, much of what we were talking about came from a very sensitive and emotional place. So this is a trigger warning. This program contains extremely sensitive information which will be disturbing for some listeners. If you're at risk of being disturbed by serious mental health issues, I advise that you stop listening to this podcast. If you're struggling, I've provided some resources on MightyMoonMedia.com where you can find information that might help you know that you're not alone. Two primary sources of that information are from Mind Mental Health Charity and Help Musicians UK, who have a 24-7 support line, Music Minds Matter. Thanks for listening. This time I remain with us the longest. Because... Not only is it the last show of this album campaign, it is the last show we'll ever do. It was almost as though our audience expected something to happen. There, there, there have been numerous times over the last course of the year where we'd had death threats and things. And um, I remember my girlfriend at the time said, she was like, they're going to kill you. I remember thinking, but this is, what, this is what they want. It was just astonishing to see the reaction and just to see how much creeper means to people and even now it's such a big part of people's lives that they're not willing to just let it go and that's an amazing amazing feeling i'm zandy berry and i produced sex death and the infinite void for creeper instead of actually getting any work done we spent about six hours just listening to records and i went back to the the hotel with ian and he turned to me and just said this is our guy Sex, death, and the infinite void, you are born, 
you live and you die, making your exit back to the infinite void. Science today tells us that 95% of the known cosmos is dark energy and dark matter. That's the no thing. It's not nothing. It's the no thing. It's the infinite void. That leaves 5% for things like planets, Earth, the sun, the stars. So there you have it. And while you're here, how much you suffer, how much you are in bliss, is up to you. The whole thing is just a whirlwind. It's not a normal, it's just, it's not a normal band. It's not just like, oh yeah, let's write some songs. Oh yeah, let's play some shows. Like, that. what goes into it and what is behind it is just like, is a, I mean, it's a whole book's worth. And I think that's just what makes it so exciting. And that's what people hold on to. That is why it's such a big part of people's lives, I think, because it's so intricate and, and different. Everything's just a whirlwind. Like everything Creeper related is, is a whirlwind. And I kind of live for that. I think we all do, really. When things really started to roll for Creeper, it, I think it would have been very easy for people to be like, oh, they're getting all of this press attention and they're getting this tour and they're doing that. But I mean, Will and Ian spent nine years in a van in punk and hardcore bands. I mean, they really did put in the time. I mean, they are legit through and through. It means everything that they've done with Creeper is is a considered decision. It's not because that's all they know or or anything like that. It's they they've worked their craft. They they took everything from punk that they loved uh, and infused all these other aspects and and that's how it's just grown and continues to grow and evolve. Um, as Creeper, but it's still what fundamentally grounds it is is a certain realness and a grittiness. Will always wants to talk to people. Um, and he, he has an incredible way of just putting everybody at ease. I mean, when you, you do these things and you go visit these offices and, and everything, he'll just start chatting to people like, like he's known them forever. And he asks them what's going on with them rather than just sitting back and and waiting for people to, to ask him because he's been brought in as the attraction today and he's a center of attention. Um, it, it's, a really, it's a really cool thing to watch. He creates these, these incredible characters and he's this huge flamboyant person, but he, he's a wonderfully down-to-earth guy. He's got an incredible work ethic. He really believes in working hard and, and earning things and, and not taking the easy route. I mean, there's never the easy route with Creeper. And as a manager, Every artist is different and they all have their, their strengths and, and some artists don't like going into, into tough situations or whatever. But I mean, fuck, if like that's A to B, well, we're going to go A, B, C, D, E, F, fuck off a couple of letters and then get to wherever you're supposed to be getting. The amount of stuff we've been through, the amount of difficult conversations we've had to have. I mean, for a while, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a day that it wasn't difficult conversations. I mean we always joke about it we call it chaos city him and i live in chaos city and every day we'd wake up and you'd call each other and you'd be like oh how high are the flames burning today like what what's the first thing we've got to deal with what's the first fire we've got to put out but we've always got along and we've always we always find a way to laugh and get through it and i mean he's, he's pretty incredible in that way
I'm Ian Dickinson, and I manage the band Creeper. The thing with Creeper is that it's just part of the whole thing of the experience of Creeper is just this utterly insane, unbridled creativity. And yet it's it's madness, but yet at the same time, there's always this really strong vision. Will thinks very um, visually. He just has a lot of ideas. And Ian, you know, and him just have this sort of crazy vision for the album, you know, a story, a concept. And um, I thought it was great. I'm Bees. I'm a British music journalist and I now work out of Hollywood, California. In the press... Right. There's this cliche that like, look out for it. When a band has a new album coming out and people do the through hell to deliver this record, frequently it's bollocks, you know, it's just trying to ham up a narrative to, t- to tell a story. But in Creeper's case, I think there was some incredibly heavy things going on. Ian was here the first time that they were working on setting up the record i mean we were we were at a karaoke night together the three of us having the best time possible um and then came uh, a turn in ian's health um and i see will and ian as a total duo by that i mean the the full-blown morrissey and marr McCartney and Lennon, you know, Manson and Twiggy, you know, the the classic songwriting duos, I, I see them as that. So Ian not being here had a real toll on Will. The first obstacle that we really had to overcome, and it was a very serious one and upsetting one, was Ian Miles' health. He just, you know, he came out to LA a couple times and we had gotten quite far into the album um and then i got this phone call from will actually it was a text and he said can you talk and i don't know i always have just sort of an extra esp sense with my artists that i'm working with you know you get to know people really well and i thought "Hmm, that doesn't sound good i wonder what's happening after the coco show everyone was stoked i mean everything felt amazing we We'd ended the campaign with a huge bang all over NME, trending on Twitter and everything. And, and the next stop is, is LA. You're off to Hollywood uh, to write the big follow-up. And then it all just, it all just crashed and burnt. Ian's carried away and sectioned. And Will, Will's mum loses her fiancé. And you just could never have seen it coming. Ever. So, um, it's it's strange to talk about because I've only uh, it was so cloudy for a long time, like I couldn't remember much. Um, but it's been like a year and a half, yeah, like a year and a half since I came out of hospital. So, I I, I think I got all the pieces together. Like I think I remember it, and I think uh, it like I didn't notice at the time. But in hindsight, I can see the little like building blocks that led up to it. Hey, my name's Ian, and I play guitar in Creeper. Like, um, I became really obsessed with uh, with religion, and uh, I would stay up uh, like most nights. It, this lasted for like maybe three weeks. I don't know, uh, four weeks. 
Um, so I'd be staying up like researching religion and and like I don't know. I'm kind of like I get carried away with conspiracies and then like. I was looking into like problems with the government and then uh, links between the government and religion. And it all just built up to this delusion that uh, I was convinced that. <laughs> so I thought were religion were, were uh, like people that follow religions in church were collecting money. And the same for like policemen and uh, and like collecting money from fines, uh, parking fines and speeding tickets. I thought they were all like the foot soldiers for the government, you know, like the, the police would give the money to religion. And then uh, people uh, of different religions would funnel that money back up to the government and they were using the money to buy nuclear weapons to to blow up the world. Like that's what I was convinced of. And at the time... I had sort of very vivid hallucinations. Like I, I thought I was part of an underground alliance that were trying to fight against the religion, fight against the government. And other members of this faction were sending me messages like, but it wasn't like in my head. It was weird. It was like in front of my eyes. It was kind of like, you know, in like 80s sci-fi movies and they're wearing those goggles where they can like look around um, kind of like alien. Yeah. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. So I would get, um, I would get these messages, uh, sort of pop up in front of my eyes and it was me communicating with the other members of this faction. Um, and they were saying, oh, you know, you're the leader of the, um, the Southampton bracket of the company of this, uh, movement and you need to, uh, eradicate religion because they were the they were the the foot soldiers of the whole um yeah they were just the the foot the foot soldiers of the whole organization you know um i i sort of saw it as like a pyramid scheme like all the they they were like on the bottom collecting money to funnel up to the government i mean it was above the government it was like mi5 so yeah i i was selected uh to tackle religion so yeah, it like, it built up, built up, built up, and I wasn't sleeping, I was writing everything down, I had like books and books, just scribblings, um, which now in hindsight, I look, well we threw them away now, but I look back at some of them and it's just, uh, for want of a better term, you know, it was nuts, some of the stuff that I was writing down was just, just gibberish, I guess it's sort of, climaxed on on this one day where i sort of i knew it had to be done that day for some reason that was the day so that was it i got up cat was at work cat's my wife cat was at work i got up i grabbed my stuff i started walking and walking and walking and walking and i walked all the way into southampton from totten which is like maybe four or five miles just like stomping like a fucking like a terminator just stomping all the way there like absolutely furious like seething and i got there and the first thing i saw was at the train station and there were i mean this just shows my ignorance of the state i was in i think that they were mormons like that just shows my ignorance in that moment like i was just 
I was just out of control. Like, I walked up to them. I was fucking, like, if you can imagine, my cheeks were red. I was out of breath because I was walking so fast for so many miles. And I just stumbled up to them and I just started screaming at them. I was like, ah, oh, this is this is all a fucking lie. If you want to believe in anything, believe in yourself. Like it just went on. And a lot of it was gibberish. Um, and a lot of it, there was some truth to it. I think that's where it gets difficult, where like there's a line, isn't there, where the truth bleeds into the to the um, make believe where the line is drawn when you go into hospital is whether I'm at risk to myself or if I'm at risk to other people, like if I'm going to hurt myself or hurt other people, that's that's the deciding factor, whether you do or don't go into hospital. But anyway, like going back to those people outside the train station, at the time, I thought I could kill people uh, like with my mind and I could just blink at people when they would die. So that's what I did. Like I shouted at these guys. I was sh- screaming and shouting at them. Your religion's a lie. Like you expect young children to repent for their sins when they don't even know what they're doing. Blah 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 blah. And then I blinked at them, and uh, in my mind they were dead. So I, I I carried on like furiously, like stomping around Southampton. And then it happened again. Same sort of people doing the same thing because they're dotted all around Southampton. And in that moment, I was like, fuck, I need some other people to help me out here. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was like, which one of my friends is really going to like help me out and back me and, and like um, would believe me, you know? And in my head, I was like, oh, Will's really into conspiracies. And I was like, fuck, yeah, Will's going to take this all on board and we're going to go and tackle this together. So I stomped from Southampton thinking I had killed four people. Um, and I was going up to Will's house to try and get him involved and to get him to come with me and carry on the mission to kill out religion in Southampton. And uh, I was walking to his house, uh, but he wasn't at his house. He was, like, on a road near his house, and he looked at me, and he was like, "Ah, oh, Ian, hey, dude. And I sort of stumbled up to him and grabbed his arm. I was like, dude, I've done it. He said, mate, I've, I've finally done it. I've just killed two people. He was in a real, a real state of mania, like he was really, really, uh, really excited. And uh, he just was speaking really fast. In my mind, what had happened there was, uh, well, this is the, the problem was at the time, Ian has always been a very eccentric person, and, it, and it's one of the reasons I, I've always gravitated towards him so much. He's very, uh, he's off kilter and he says things, uh, he has an imagination like no one else I've ever met. He's, um, a, a, I'd say, like a hyper creative person to a point where, uh, you know, it, it, it is completely all he can think about. It's all he, he can, does it every hour of the day. So, he uh his his imagination and things run wild of him a lot but at this exact moment he he'd had a um like a penchant for uh for horror films and uh a lot of the sort of literature that comes along with those things too so there was a minute where i was genuinely uh quite concerned because it felt like maybe in his weakened state, this could have been something that was that was real and that had happened. And uh, he 
he just looked at me. I, I, it's weird that I can remember it now because I couldn't for so long. He just looked at me. The panic in his eyes was like so real. I had never seen Will like that before. Like his face was like so different to anything I, I had ever seen him express before. Um, but anyway, I was just com- completely convinced that he was going to help me out. I was like, dude, I've killed these four people. You need to help me get the rest. There's like a couple churches here. There's a church here. We can go to that church, burn it down. The, 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 the priest will die in the church and the people in the church will die along with them. That's it. We're like eradicating them. We'll move on to the next church. So I grabbed him by his arm and he was like at one point almost crying and back to normal and manic again. He was like kind of on and off and on and off, really, really flittering between between these two modes. I, I, I kept thinking, I'm going to have to call the police. I'm going to have to call the police and my best friend. I was like, oh, fuck. This, like will isn't gonna follow me on this like he's he's not he's not gonna be a part of this with me he was in an absolutely manic uh manic state and he started walking telling me he was having to go and see the, where these bodies were he wanted to be sure that he'd killed these people down by the train station and um so he told me he was going to the train station so i so um, i said I'll, I'll walk with you and so so we started power walking and he he kept telling me we have to do this, mate. I have to do this. This is what's going, you know, this is the only way I can stop them and all this sort of thing. So suddenly I'm in this reality where I'm like, I can't use my phone right now because I don't want to spook him um, and I don't want to lose him. So all I can do really is stay with him by his side and try and make sure he doesn't hurt anybody. Um, so that, that was my rationale there. And we started walking. We were walking along and he said, he said mate, in a minute, I'm going to take a left and I'm going uh, to run. And when I do, I don't want you to follow me. You have to let me do this. And of course, he took a left and ran, and I ran after him. What ended up happening next is a little bit of a comedy of, of this story. Um, and Will started chasing me. And I don't know if you've ever seen Will run, but it's quite it's quite funny. Um, he looks like Woody, you know, like at the end of Toy Story, when that he's cha- he's chasing the van to jump in with the other toys, like flailing limbs. So yeah, he was like, he was chasing me around the streets of Southampton. And I was just fucking screaming back at him. I was like, dude, you're never going to catch up with me. I've been training for the apocalypse for like years now. And he was like, Ian, just slow down. Come back, dude, come back. And then I got round a corner uh, and I noticed he wasn't, he was like quite far behind me. So I ducked behind a bin and uh, he came back. And went round the corner and I got away from him because he didn't see me behind the bin. He kept running down towards the train station because I told him I killed people at the train station. Um, this is so weird talking about this so normally because it's like, it's not normal. <laughs> like, I've talked to people about, like, the outline. Like, I, I've, I've, like, talked to people and said, oh, you know, I, I had a manic episode. I, uh, I, as a result, I had to go into hospital because I was really unwell. Um, but I've never, actually, I've never even said this stuff out loud. I think that's why it's so weird to me because it feels so, just like, like flippant. I'm just saying it like uh, I'm telling a story when actually it was really real. That day, I had to throw myself into situations that I never could ever have foreseen happening. I called Cat. I called Matt Reynolds, and we had to begin this manhunt for him because at this point. He was very dangerous. Matt Reynolds is a friend of Ian and mine from from a long time ago, from from punk rock. 
He used to play in a band called Howard's Alias that we used to go and see when we were younger. He's one of the best musicians I've ever met. And he worked under, uh, under a guitar tech role or a tour manager role, depending on, on where we were in the world, uh, for Creeper for a number of years. He was one of the closest people to the project. Matt agreed to meet me at the train station and Kat was driving around town looking for him. I walked down to the train station. Um, she told, uh, Kat asked me to call the police. So I'm on the way down to the train station and I had to call 999. Thank you for calling 999. What's your emergency, please? I had to explain. I think my friend's having a psychotic episode in, in, uh, in Southampton City Centre. He, like he might be dangerous uh, to, 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 to other people and that he, um, he wants to cause harm to, to a religious group. And immediately on the phone, the tone of the conversation changed drastically um, from a very understanding 999 operative to somebody basically about to dispatch a, a anti-terror unit. On that day, whenever somebody talked to me, I was... Um... I kept saying to them, I'm great. They'd be like, what, "Like, sit down, talk to me, what's going on? I'd be like, dude, I'm fucking great. Like, I finally have a purpose in life. I have something to do. I have something, I have people relying on me. Like, I am legitimately the best I've ever been in my entire life. And, um, which is weird for me because I never have that sort of conviction. I, I, I'm never direct like that ever. Um, so, yeah, I ducked behind the bin, Will carried on running, and uh, obviously my my mind was racing like a million thoughts per second. I was like, Will, as soon as Will had left, I forgot that he was even chasing me. So I carried on with my with my mission, and I went, there, I was like, oh, there's a church around the corner, I'll go set that church on fire. So I went round to the church, and uh, I I like kicked the door of the church through. Uh, and I ran into the church and the church was empty but I heard some like scuffling to my right and I turned around and there was like a big wooden door with like metal uh, like imprints and I like put my hand on the door and the the door was like really cold and I I knew somebody was in there so I did it again I fucking kicked, kicked the door through um, and in there there was like this strange old guy and like this uh like young dude with curly hair he was quite a big guy like he was a they it it was just like i remember going in through the door they turned round and looked at me as if like what the fuck are you doing and then again i went off on my spiel i was like what the fuck are you doing this is all a lie let people be people like stop dictating uh, stop telling people they're going to hell and blah 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 people need to learn from their own uh, I went on and on and on and on and I was like uh, after uh, like I probably it was probably incoherent to be honest but in my mind it made complete sense I said to him I'm gonna burn this fucking church down you can't stop me and he looked at me and he said this church, this church is made of stone. made of stone and I went oh shit <laughs> so <laughs> So, like, I did my thing, I blinked at them, thought I had killed both of them, walked out, and repeat, like, I stormed down, I was like, oh, there's another church down here. This this time it was bigger, I was like, fuck yeah, I've, I've killed four, no, six people now. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go bigger, I'm gonna go to a big church. 
So I stormed down to that church, which was like a little bit more central in town. At that point, I like, I had to gather my thoughts. I was sat outside. I was like, right, this is a bigger church. There's going to be more people in there. It's going to be a, it's going to be a bloodbath. I know I've got to kill all of them. This church is wood and I can burn this church down. I'm doing really well. And like in my mind, I was getting messages through, like, well, in my eyes, I was getting messages through from people saying, dude, I'm watching you. You're killing this. Like, keep going, keep going. And that was like, that, that was making it, uh, making me even more determined. So I collected my thoughts, I stomped around, started just about to go into the church, and my wife Kat just turned up. And she was stood like right in front of me, and she grabbed my arm. Now, oh man, just give me like one sec. This is a Mighty Moon Media podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from LA. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com. 